So, so before I get started, I wanted to share a God moment with you all. Don't you love those God moments? You know, and, and as I'm thinking, I was praying for, for, for your kids in worship today, and, and that's been on my heart, you know, like, uh, and your kids may be in their 30s or 50s. They may be 80. <laughs> if you're here, God bless you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I just, you know, this whole thing in Asbury had me thinking, you know, like, this is what we pray for our children, that they come to know the Lord, that they live, they live in boldness in their faith, right? And uh, this morning, as I'm, I'm praying, and, you know, um, I've been praying for my daughters for, uh, for years, you know. Uh, it's a long time. And, uh, and as I, I'm down on, on my face at the altar, and I'm worshiping, and I'm praying for my daughter and her fiancé and my grandson, I stand up, and they're standing there in the seats. And I was like, man, he is a good God. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. He is who he says he is. As we sang, we speak Jesus over these situations. Let God deal with the details. People seem like they're so far gone or so far away or I'll never believe or you're crazy, right? You just speak Jesus over them, you know? I was that person. I was that sheep and he came and got me. So, how's everybody doing? Good. You glad to be here? I'm glad to be here. I am just so filled today. I am so excited. I think I expended all my energy, though, in the first service, so I'm just going to read to you. <laughs> so there's this quote, and it's by Charles Spurgeon, and it says that he that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. So essentially what Spurgeon is saying here is that faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. And James says the same things in chapter 2, right? He basically, he says, faith without deeds, faith without works is dead. This is hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around. So as I've been listening to Pastor Brian preach for the couple of past weeks, and, and as I read through his notes and, and wanted to stay in tune with that spirit of, of this cultural change that we're calling us, calling each other to, right? To not just, you know, this call to salvation, sure, you know, we want to see that happen, but we also want to see people take that next step beyond that decision. Salvation's just the doorway, Salvation is just the entryway into Christianity, into discipleship. What happens from there now is a life committed to Jesus. And so in that spirit, I was, I was sort of praying and, and, and looking for where God wanted to lead me in this. You know, Pastor Brian comes in, and if you know him, he's very organized, just a little particular. Right, Christina? He's watching right now, too, so I'm going to make fun of him a little bit if I can, but... But he comes in and he goes, so here's what I'm, I'm doing and here's what you should do. And, and, but no pressure, but if you could, and I'll send you my notes. <laughs> kind of sounds like him. And then the Lord steps in, right? And I'm listening to an old playlist that I haven't listened to in a long time. It's all gospel old hymns, you know? And the song Trust and Obey comes on. And I'm like, man, this is what it's all about. Some of these old hymns, you know? We've sort of moved from a lot of the simple, solid theology that they, that they teach, and we've kind of, you know, made this, you know, westernized, this Americanized church sort of culture. But, but the reality is, is, you know, this song, if you know it, you'll understand 
but I thought, you know, this is what it's all about. Us learning how to trust God completely, and then in that trust, living in obedience to him. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. So there's, there's so many stories in Scripture about men and women who demonstrated this, you know? People who not only claim to have faith and trust in God, but also live that faith out regardless of their human condition, what might have followed, well, uh, excuse me, or might have allowed doubt or fear to creep in from time to time. Anybody struggle with that? Anyone struggle with, with doubt and fear creeping in from time to time? Anyone ever have doubts about God? It's okay. You can raise your hands because I'm going to tell you that I do too. And I'm going to tell you that that's a common human thing. That, you know, things can get tough or things can look bleak or dark or fear of something that's so much bigger or, or the unknown or uncertainties, right? And then we can start to say, I don't know, is God going to come through? Can God come through? Will God come through? Right? And so it's normal. That happens. So you're not alone in that, just so you know. And in Scripture, we actually see in the book of Mark, chapter 9, there's a man whose son is sick and dying, and, 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 and so basically, he wants Jesus to heal him. And Jesus says, if you have faith, he, your son can be healed. And I love what he says in response. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And sometimes we hear that, and we're like, that doesn't make sense. But... I want to clarify this verse in maybe another way. What seems to be a, a paradoxical issue, I, I, I think, isn't at all. I think what he's saying is, is, Jesus, my faith is far from perfect, right? I may not have enough faith for this, but if my faith is not enough, please help me to have enough faith. That's our prayer, right? That's what we should all be praying, that, that God, please increase our faith. Some things in life are just beyond us. They're too much for us to bear, and so what we need is, is you to intervene. We need that power of the Holy Spirit to rise up in us and for us to, to sort of step away from our carnal logic and mindset that often takes over in times of trouble. And so Jesus seems to hear it that way, and he's pleased with this man's response, so he heals his son based on that faith, even though it wasn't perfect, right? He wasn't this giant in the faith, he had this tiny little faith, and Jesus says, that's all. That's where it begins, right there. Trust me. And he heals his son. And so I believe it's that honest, humble confession of inadequacy that allows God to begin working in our lives. That's what I really think it is. You know, Pastor Brian brings this verse up and has in the last couple of weeks, but I believe this is exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where he says, you know, this is the godly sorrow that produces repentance and leads to salvation, right? Paul, Paul is saying, like, when you understand your inadequacy, when you are truly sorrowful, that's when God moves in. That's when God steps in. That's when God brings about this salvation experience in our lives. So salvation comes to inadequate sinners who realize their need and ask for forgiveness, right? None of us were like, okay, I'm great, I'm healthy, I'm ready spiritually, God, so let's do this, right? No, all of us came to a place where we were like, all right, help me. I can't do this, right? There's something more. Right? I'm limited. I'm finite. But God, I know you're bigger. And so there was this something in our life, this prescribed grace or whatever it was that drew us to him. And so salvation came into the scene. 
And so when we go to God with our doubt, one thing we know is that he responds, right? When we seek him through prayer, when we seek him through reading, when we seek him through worship, our doubts will disappear and our trust will be amplified, you know? That's one thing. You know, when, when, when people are struggling, the first thing we ask is, is, well, how's your prayer life? How's your reading life? How connected are you to the body? Right? Are you serving anywhere? Are, are you worshiping the Lord the way you should be? You know, because what tends to happen is, is we get into the flesh, we get into our own logic, and then we start to feel distant from God. But the reality, God has given us all the opportunity to press into him. And when we do, boy, does he meet us there, right? How many people had an experience this morning where they just sort of put things on a shelf, where they said, you know, all these things that are bothering me, all these things that I've been dragging around, you know, I'm just going to push those aside for a second, and I'm just going to worship the Lord. How many people experienced that this morning? Amen. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here, to have an encounter with Jesus, Right? We don't want to walk out the doors the same way we walked in, dragging the same stuff that we've been dragging around for maybe our whole lives. What we want to do is, is we want to be changed. We want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be a better version of ourselves. We don't want our best lives now. What we want is our best lives forever. We want eternal life in him. Amen. Pastor Brian has been talking about how salvation, as I said, is the only beginning, the beginning of our journey with Jesus and that we've been invited into so much more, so much more. And we limit that. He doesn't, right? We put sort of restraints on our faith and how we're going to live it out, but we want to win souls for the kingdom. There's no question about that. We want to see those kingdom numbers grow, but we also want to see these individuals grow in response to a clear understanding about what it is that God is calling us to in that salvation, right? We don't want it to just be something that you throw in your pocket or slap on your bumper. We don't want it to be something you check off on a questionnaire. Christian, that's not what we want. We want what Jesus wants. We want people to go deeper and deeper and deeper to not be satisfied or content with where they're at right now, right here, but to go further because this infinite God is something that we can't even reach the ends of. And so if we continue to pursue him and go deeper with him, we're going to come to places that we never dreamed possible. Ephesians 3.20 says that he's going to give us immeasurably more than we ever hoped or imagined. And not in the way of material or temporal things. Things, the ability to see beyond the moment. The ability to see beyond this life. The ability to experience God in a way that we never hoped or imagined. Because it's beyond our finite thinking. So this calling to salvation, it requires that we first trust Jesus and then follow him through obedience to his commands and his expectations for us. And that's the hard part, right? Because our feelings are so strong, aren't they? Our feelings are uncomfortable sometimes, aren't they? And so we want to respond or react in the flesh. But I'm going to tell you, it's not about your feelings, it's not about your feelings. As I said, today's sermon is titled Trust and Obey. And I, and I just want to read the line from, the, from the, the hymn that really stuck out at me, that really pushed me in this direction. 
But he says, and I'm not going to sing it, Christina, so don't worry. (laughs) When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So today I'm going to share with you, we're going to take a look at the story of John the Baptist. We'll look at his life and how it displayed this trust and obedience that we're all called to. We call him John the Baptist because that was part of his ministry. He baptized people with water. And uh, we'll probably have one coming up in the spring as we normally do, hopefully around April. And if that's something you haven't done and it's been on your heart, pray about it. Start talking to us about it. We delay things because we think, oh, I'm not ready or I'm not there. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But obedience is obedience. No prerequisite other than faith. And so this interesting fact came up as I was, as, as I was sort of researching baptism. I was just really like, where did it come from? You know, why did John just start dunking people in water? Was he a sadist? No. <laughs> You know, there, there, there has to be some sort of precursor. There has to be some sort of reason why this man would go out and, and prepare the way for Jesus and use this method of water baptism, right? We know what it was. We know why, but we don't know where it came from. And so it, 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 by definition, first of all, we need to understand that it's an initiation, right? That's how it's sort of defined. That's how it's always been used. It's an initiation into something. But this water initiation used by John was done as a symbol of this purification and conversion. And that just didn't pop up out of nowhere. It was similar to a Jewish custom called mikvah. It was a a ritual that also represented purification and conversion into the faith. And so if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you had to go through this. You had to, they had to perform a mikvah. And so you would go into these waters up to your chin, and you would just be purified, brought into the faith, converted into the faith. And so John's was a baptism, as we, as we know, of repentance, where he was preparing people to enter into the kingdom of God since the king was coming. It says the kingdom is at hand. He was there to prepare the way, to announce the arrival of the king. And so he was doing this through this water baptism of having people repent from their old ways, to turn from their old ways, and to be purified and initiated into this kingdom. Right? And so his ministry, though, if you've read, is much more than just baptism. He was, he was the son of Zechariah, who was a priest, and then his wife Elizabeth was also related to Jesus' mother Mary, perhaps a cousin. We're not 100% sure on that, but we know they were related. And she was also a descendant of Aaron. So she was in this priesthood or this lineage of priesthood as well. And so John's conception was also a miraculous one, like, uh, like we see with Jesus. See, Elizabeth was well beyond her childbearing years, and they had prayed faithfully for a child even beyond, even beyond what was considered normal or, or, or likely. And so then we read in Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel, the angel, came to Zechariah to tell him that the Lord was finally answering their prayer to have a child. He said, 
He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, what a calling. You get an angel shows up and says, hey, guess what? You're getting that child, and guess what? He's special. He's special. I mean, can you imagine how, imagine how overwhelming that must have been, right? So he was raised in this mountainous area of Judea. He was a Nazarite. He wore clothes that were made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. It was kind of the typical garb back then of a, of a prophet. He ate locusts and honey. Um, my friend Chris over here, he had a dinner with us over the summer, and he served locusts and honey to be authentic. I don't know that I'd ever try it again, but I did try it. I've eaten bugs, and uh, it was actually not as bad as I thought. So John did have a tough life, but it was a little easier. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So he, he lived this very humble, simple life that was dedicated to the kingdom work that was set before him. Right? That's John's story, essentially. Right? His adult life was, was just characterized by this devotion and surrender to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It wasn't about John. It wasn't about where he was comfortable serving. It wasn't about where he was called to or he felt he was called to. It was none of that. It turns out that John was actually the voice, the lone voice in the wilderness that was prophesied about by Isaiah in chapter 40. Let's read those verses, uh, verse 3 through 5. It says, A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this was, this was the, the prophecy 700 years before John lived. 700 years, okay? And then John himself, and we're going to go to this, John chapter 1, the gospel, and I'm just going to kind of read verses 6 through 8 and then 19 through 26 for the sake of time. But John himself confirms this. He's, it says first in verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, capital L, Jesus, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now let's jump to verse 19. See, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him to, excuse me, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not Jesus. They asked him, well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. He said, are you the prophet? And he said, no. And then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And I love this. You know, he says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and, he, and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And then John answered him saying, I baptize in water. But among you now stands the one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I love, I love how John plays this, right? 
And, I, and, and you know, again, here's, here's, here's where we get it wrong and John gets it right. And I say we, I mean the whole, you know, the whole of, of, of Western Christianity, the whole of the American church. You, you know, John has got a platform. John is getting attention. Everybody is, is flocking to the Jordan to get baptized, right? And he's got disciples. And these people, he's got the attention of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. And so they're sending people to him. And, you know, he doesn't make a big deal of himself. He doesn't say, hey, let's, let's call TBN or, or whatever the Christian station is and have them come down and run a show here. You know, let me go on the 700 Club and tell everybody all the great things I'm doing and how great I am. Let, let, let me start a mega church and, and, and line my pockets. Let me write some books. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't have time for that. Because his ministry was not to make much of himself. It was to make much of the Lord. That's all of our ministries, church. To make much of the Lord, not ourselves. And this is the problem in our culture, in this country. A lot of times, it's all about me. How I feel. How comfortable I am. What I want. What I need. What I expect. Right? Convenience and comfort. Drive through this and microwave that. Everything. Access at your finger, fingertips. Have it your way, right away. That's the culture that we're swimming in right now, church. Yes. It is. And that's not the culture. Amen. That's not the culture that John was willing to accept. It's about Christ and him crucified. It's about the coming of the Lord, the kingdom of God. It's about winning souls for the kingdom and making disciples of those people. And so I love this. <clears throat> Trust and obedience to the call. John's entire life was centered and focused on his service, as I said, to the Lord. And so when we're born into this life, we're called to this same level of dedication and commitment. Some of you go, oh, 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 wait a second, I'm not eating bugs. It's not what we're saying, right? Everyone that has called on the name of the Lord, who has been saved by Jesus Christ, is called to this level of commitment and dedication to him. And that doesn't mean quit your jobs, doesn't mean, you know, go on a, a mission trip or, or any of those things, because we'll get into this, that we all have specific gifts and abilities. But it means right where you are, in the context that you're currently living, that everyone should know who your God is. Not by just what you say, but how you live. How you trust and obey. And so, as I said, Scripture tells us that we have specific gifts and abilities that are intended to be used within the body of Christ in order to make it function properly. Scripture says this. Read Ephesians 4. Read Romans 12. Read 1 Corinthians. Right? What, what, what kills me, and I hate hearing this, is when people say things like, what can I contribute? Right? I'm nothing special. None of us are special. God is special. We're going to stop thinking that it relies on how good we are. Right? See, that line of thinking only serves to prevent us from becoming the men and women that we're called to be. And it will hinder the full potential of the specific bodies that each of us are connected to. This happens to be your body here, Christian Fellowship Center. 
And then there's a larger body, obviously, the larger church. But you know what happens when we don't rise up to our calling, when we don't live in obedience to God's calling in accordance to the gifts and the abilities that he's given us, what ends up happening is it's not just you who doesn't find that fulfillment in life and joy and contentment and growth and freedom. No, it's the church that you're part of. It's the fellowship that you belong to, right? The people around you don't get to experience the gift that was assigned to you for them. And so we're hoarding or we're being selfish or we're, we're disqualifying ourselves. And a lot of times if we really examine why we disqualify ourselves, it's because we have other gods we'd rather worship. Uh-oh. It's one of those sermons, huh? We've got to get there. And if we don't preach it and we don't hear it, then we don't change it. And that's the problem. We don't hear it enough. And so this is why I love what Pastor Brian's been teaching on. Because what he's calling us to and what he's calling this body to is it's believe and have life. And what does that life look like? That's the, that's the key factor here. So I'm going to say it again. It's never, ever what we feel. Never. Feelings never trump scripture. Never. And we've got to stop allowing that to happen. So Christianity, as we've heard the past two Sundays, is much more than just a salvation moment. It's more than coming to church or, or behaving better. Right? Christianity, as we call it, is about becoming disciples. It was always that. It was never what we've redefined it as. See, the word Christian, as I, it's been redefined over the centuries, and especially here in the United States and the Western church. We've redefined it like we tend to do with a lot of other words, or we have with a lot of other words, right? I mean, what are some of the words that, that have lost their potency or their true meaning because we've inserted them into the context of our lives, our culture? How about the word love? Right? right? Oh, I love my wife and I love pizza. Right? It's lost its potency, and love is no longer patient and kind and selfless and rejoicing in truth. It becomes self-serving, self-centered. It becomes about feelings and emotions, rainbows and butterflies, right? And that's not what Paul defines love as. That's not what Jesus defines love as. We're called to radical commitment, radical love, love that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, love that hangs in and can be trusted, Love that loves the least of these. Love that loves its enemies. Love that refuses to stand down in the face of evil. That's what God has called us to. We've redefined that word. And we've done this with so many others. Happiness. We've redefined what that means. We've redefined the word need. You know, I shared this before. You know, need. We say, I need this. Right? I, and I'm watching my three-year-old, you know, the other day, and, and, you know, if you have a toddler or have ever had a toddler, you understand these crazy conversations that you can get into with them, and you wonder how you even got there. That's a whole other thing. But anyways, you know, on, on Saturdays, we call it Dada Day, and that's been like that since he was born. My wife works on Saturdays, and so he and I get to hang out the whole day, and it's great. We do all kinds of things that his mom wouldn't let him do. And so he wants to... <laughs> <laughs> he wants to, he, he's got about 84 monster trucks, okay? There's more now, thanks to uh, the agendas, wherever you are. Thanks so much. But uh, so, yeah, it's like a minefield of monster trucks now. 
And, uh, and so he says to me, Dad, I've been good all week. First of all, he was sick for two days and go to, didn't go to school. He only went on Friday. And, and he goes, so can I get another truck? And I said, no. And he goes, Dad, I need another truck. And so in my head, I'm like, you do not need another truck. <laughs> and in his head, I'm like, he's like, but Dad, I really do because I, I don't have this truck. And so, and, and, and as funny as it is, as cute as it sounds, I think we're a lot like this. You know, I need this car, right? I need that home. I need this job. I need, I need, I need, I need. When really all we're saying is, is I desire. I want my flesh, right? And so we redefine these words, and, and the word disciple is one of them. We've done this in the church. See, by definition, a disciple is a convinced adherent of a school or individual, okay? A convinced adherent. Think about this for a second. John is a perfect example of someone who didn't live according to his will or the culture's norms and expectations, right? Right? He must have, they must have looked at him like, you're crazy, right? But he was being obedient to God. He was willing to do whatever God called him to do. And so he was an adherent to God. He was an adherent to the coming Christ and his teaching. He was an adherent to the prophecy. And so he trusted God and was obedient. And then something we can learn from this life is that it is just as important to trust God as it is to obey him. Think about that. Let me say it again. It is just as important to trust him as it is to obey him. Right? So Jerry Bridges says this in his writings. He says, when we disobey God, we defy his authority and despise his holiness. But when we fail to trust God, we, don't, we, we doubt his sovereignty and question his goodness. And so what, what Bridges, I believe, is saying here is obedience says, I love you for who you are and I respect your authority, Lord. I love you for who you are. I respect your will. You see, it's one thing to intend to be obedient, right? It's one thing to say, well, I'm just going to start obeying God. I'm going to live a life of obedience. But when we find ourselves in disobedience because we don't want to relinquish authority in certain areas or circumstances, then we can't claim to be walking in obedience. There's a difference between intention and action, right? You know, there's, uh, if you've known me, you know, for any amount of time or ever visited my office, then you know that I have uh, trinkets and things in there that, you know, are kind of like describe how crazy I am, I guess you could say. And one of the things I really enjoyed and grew up on was Star Wars. I did see it in the theaters, the first one. That's how old I am, in case you were wondering. And, and then, you know, Lord of the Rings and Narnia and all these things. But it's not just because they're entertaining and probably the best movies and books ever written on the planet, aside from the Bible. <clears throat> Don't make fun of me. But there is this saying by Yoda, who is this little green guy, and I have it on one of my mugs. That mug says, I'm not sure I'm a hobbit. But this one says, do or do not, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. I love it. It's such a simple, succinct 
accurate statement. Like we can say, you know, I'm trying and not do. Right? right? But what are we really saying in that moment? I won't. I'm not gonna. I know I should. Right? And so the reality is, is this is exactly, you know, what Jesus is calling us to. It's to a life of doing. And don't get me wrong, there's tons of grace in the trying and failing. But that doesn't mean you stop doing. Right? It's easy when things are going as we hoped or planned, but what about when things go sideways, church? What about when things don't go the way we hoped or planned? See, trust says, I know you're in total control and your will is perfect and good. That's what trust is. It's saying, I totally believe that your will is good. I know that you're sovereign and you're in control of everything, God. And so I trust this and I'm going to live there, right? But again, we, can't, we can say we trust God conceptually, but when the rubber meets the road, when things are tough, that's when trust matters most. That's when trust matters most. And when we have a hard time with that, that's when we need to cry out to him, just like that man in chapter 9 remarked, I believe God. Help my unbelief. I believe. I trust you, God. I'm just having a hard time trusting you. My flesh fails. It's weak. But I trust you, God. And so what we learn through the life of John is that no matter what the world thinks, no matter what the culture around us accepts, and regardless of how challenging our call to serve and follow Jesus may be, we must continue to walk in trust and obedience. It's not optional. And so this is what it means to be a Christian, to be saved, to be a disciple of Jesus, right? You may be thinking, uh, you know, this is a little bit much, Pastor, and I'm just not there yet. Oh, I've heard that phrase so many times. How many people have uttered those words? I'm just not there yet. Go ahead, show me a little pterodactyl arms. Because I've done it. I've done it. I've said it. I did it for 11 years in the church as I just sort of memorized Bible, the Bible and tried to fit into this culture that I was part of. You know, I tried to behave well and speak their language and show up to their stuff. Right? <clears throat> I would say, I'm just not there yet when they would confront me on my sin. When they would ask me, why are you still doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And why did you say you were going to do this and not do that? And I would just say, I'm just not there yet. And man, all I was saying is, is I'm not ready to make that commitment. See, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And I rebuke that thinking in the name of Jesus. It's not biblical. And the moment we said yes to Jesus and our, etern- our, our eternities were completely rerouted was the moment we acknowledged that without him, we were doomed to an eternity of anguish and death because that's what the gospel says. We didn't pay that price, but we're beneficiaries of that reward. So we were saying yes to a new life. We were saying yes to reconciliation. And we were saying yes to a commitment to follow Jesus. That's what that yes means. And Jesus himself says this. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I didn't say this. So you can't get mad at me. I love, you know, Pastor Brian shared the, the story of the rich young ruler. And, and he, he shares it a lot. 
And for good reason, because he's very similar. We're very similar to him. You know, when he says to him, he says, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Because everything else seems to be great. You're doing all the right things. You're showing up for all the right stuff. So all that you're lacking is, is you just need to get rid of this one thing, and you can give it away and come follow me. This is going to be great. And he says he went away sad. Right? There's no biblical precedence for preparation time once we're saved. Did you know that? There's no... There's no, okay, great, I'm saved, and I'm going to hang out for, you know, a year or two or, or 10 or 30 in the church and just keep showing up and keep attending and keep pretending. There's no biblical precedence for that. I know that's hard to hear, church, right? It was hard for me to hear, too. Trust me. But this is where freedom is. This is where we're called to. We're not called to just be here for an hour, hour and a half, or, or, or I don't know, sometimes we preach way longer than that. But that's not all we're called to on a Sunday. We're called to everyday living in Christ. And so what do you want is the question. Do you want to just be a Christian in name only? Do you want to just say, hey, I'll take those rewards. I'll, I'll take what you offer, Jesus, but I'm not giving anything back? Or do you want to be a Christian indeed as well? Do you want to be people who go deeper, who experience God on a level that you never thought possible, that your lives are radically transformed and your families are radically transformed? I see you in here. There's people in here who I know who have never given up, who've never stopped praying, who've been in complete and total messes where it just seemed impossible and it was going on for years and they never stopped praying and they never stopped pressing in and now you're all sitting here today. Think about that for a minute. Nothing. Just because your mind is saying it's not possible, don't believe it. Don't believe it. God is so much bigger. So much bigger. So hardship will come, church, and that changes nothing. It changes nothing. We're still called to trust and obey. And so let's look at this trust and obedience quickly through, through hardship. We read later in Scripture that John was arrested and put in prison by King Herod because the king didn't like John's messages, and also because John publicly rebuked Herod for committing adultery with his brother's wife, Herodias, right? He would eventually be beheaded and would never see the outcome of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? This is the one he made way for. And much like Jeremiah, you know, spent 40 years faithfully serving the Lord, John never really saw anything beyond that prison cell. And so imagine that, if you will, for a moment, right? You've dedicated your entire life to God, and you've lived in complete obedience to him, and the result of that was rejection in prison, death. We seem to think or expect that if we serve God faithfully, then life will be all rainbows and butterflies, peaches and cream, right? But that's not the case. And if you've been a Christian for more than six minutes, you can probably agree with me there, right? Right? And sure, don't get me wrong, there's great rewards. And as Pastor Brian says in his Boston accent, there's no better life. Right? And I'm going to talk about that more. But often the rewards we're hoping for in this life are not the rewards God has for us. We're putting our eggs in the wrong basket most of the time. Or we're needing things that we don't really need. And so giving your life to Jesus is not the guarantee of a trouble-free life and existence, and we need to stop selling that false gospel just to get people to say yes to Jesus and get them to church. 
I jokingly say this on Wednesday nights. He's not the vote for Pedro Jesus, right? All your wildest dreams will come true. We try to paint this Jesus who's going to meet our needs now, and life is going to be great and better. He's going to fill all these holes and desires. No, you know what he's going to do? He's going to transform you and your heart so radically if you let him that any of those things you don't have or any of the things that come your way are not going to phase you. That's what happens. And so I mentioned earlier that doubt is a common human response to these things that we might not fully understand. And while John was in prison, he had doubts too. So again, you're in good company, right? In Luke 7, we read how John sent a couple of disciples out to, to check on Jesus just to make sure he was that coming one, or, or in some translations it says the, the expected one. And so in verses 20 through 22, it says, when the men came to him and they said, talking about Jesus, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the coming one, or we will look for somebody else, right? At that very time, right, you don't hear, there's no rebuttal from Jesus, or no response, it just says at that very time, in that moment, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind, and he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. People who are blind receive sight. People who limped walk. People with leprosy are cleansed. And people who are deaf hear. Dead people are raised up. And people who are poor have the gospel preached to them. He was referring back to Isaiah 61. And clearly John knew who that was because John was that voice that Isaiah prophesied about as well. And so Jesus didn't waste any time trying to defend himself with words, right? He just proved who he was with his actions. He just did Jesus stuff, <laughs> you know? And we have that same opportunity whenever we're challenged, church. Think about this for a second. Sometimes we spend too much time and energy trying to defend our faith and beliefs, but in hardship, we're given a greater opportunity to prove our faith in a powerful way through trusting God and obeying his commands. People don't really care what you have to say most of the time. If they've already reserved themselves to, to not believing in God or refusing his existence, debunking Christianity, then you can talk to your blue in the face, and I'm sure some of you have. And you know what? What's going to speak a louder message is how you live it out. When your family sees and your friend sees and your coworker sees, when you're going through hell, when your life is upside down, when everything seems hopeless, when, when things are, oh, where's your God now, right? And you display nothing but peace and joy and trust in him, and you follow through obediently, that, that will make people scratch their heads. That will, will sort of, you know, the whole world, you know what they want? You know what we long for? Hope. Hope is a powerful thing, church. Do you remember before you met Jesus how hopeless you felt? Do you remember like there's nothing more than this life? Right? No, hope is a powerful thing, excuse me. And so when we can show people what hope actually looks like personified, when things are going south, that's going to draw them in. Peace that surpasses understanding is something that everybody wants. And so let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, church, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Yes. 
Scripture says, and it reminds us, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. So in other words, we should expect hardship as part of this journey. Expect it. And still trust and obey as we go. And so here's my other nerd quote from Tolkien, from Lord of the Rings. If you know who Gimli is. Go ahead, say it. <laughs> He's a little guy. Kind of like him. So it says, faithless, this is as they're going on the journey, the fellowship, they're going on this really hard journey, and it's going to be really tough. Almost, it just seems impossible, right? And, and they're afraid that these people who've never experienced this kind of hardship are going to leave, that they're going to, they're going to break away from the fellowship. And so he's like, we should do oaths. We should do this. We should do that. And then he says, faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road gets rough, right? When the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, church. We don't cower. We don't say, oh, no, this is bigger than God. Oh, no, I can't handle this. No, we press in. We pray. We lean into the word. We look at the promises, and we walk courageously in them because that's what we're called to. That's what a disciple does. Amen. You know, there's a lot of churchgoers who haven't taken that step into discipleship. And so when things come their way, they fall away pretty quickly. They flail and they panic and they cry and they worry and that consumes them. But that's not what we're called to, church. Because when we trust our God, when we know who our God is, when we know who our God that overcame death is on our side and dwells in us, then we don't have to succumb to the emotions and the hardships that this life throws at us. Amen? Yeah. Jeremiah 17, because I have to follow up, you know, obviously a Tolkien quote with Scripture, so you know I'm not completely unbiblical or crazy. But in Jeremiah 17, it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. When we're so deeply rooted in the, the living water, Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what comes our way. Fruit will continue to grow. And so this leads us to the final point, that trust and obedience leads to great reward. It's a byproduct. And so Pastor Brian, as he started out this, this sort of uh, sermon series. It was in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, where he read, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There were so many that they couldn't be recorded. But these, the ones you read, they've been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so the entire premise of Pastor Brian's sermons the past couple of weeks, is, and it hopefully, as I said, will be concluded by the end of this year, is that through faith and trust in Jesus, we can live the abundant lives he has called us to. It's really that simple, right? God has invited us into this life, his life, right? His story, not ours, Right? We minimize Christianity to the basics our culture has made acceptable. It's okay to have faith, but not too much. Don't be too radical. Don't be one of those crazy Jesus freak Bible thumpers. That's way too much. 
But that's because our, our society is getting darker and darker, and so we need to become brighter and brighter. Right? It's a beautiful thing that God has made as a part of this meta-narrative that began thousands of years ago, and it is infinitely greater than this simplistic church-going Christianity that many of us have reduced it to. You see, the greatest reward we could ever receive in this life is to know the true meaning of it, the why. And more than just know that meaning, what we actually get to experience it and share that meaning with others. Do you realize what a blessing that is? Many never come to know it. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to ask Pastor Willie to come back up. And I, and I just want you to just think about this for a moment, who your God is. Is he worthy of your trust? Is he worthy of your obedience? And is he getting those things from you right now? Right? Through trust and obedience, we're not limited to some strict set of rules and guidelines that will stifle our joy and limit us from fully experiencing the fullness of life. Oh, no. Quite the contrary. My life is an example of that, and anyone in my family can tell you that I am full of joy and more so than I've ever had in my life. That when I finally surrendered, when I finally got done trying to be God and fill myself with happiness, I finally found joy. I finally found peace. And it wasn't because I adhered to a religion or tried to conform to a group of people. It's because I conformed to the living God and the gospel message that he's taught. And so when we put our trust in the Lord and walk in his precepts, when we live in obedience to his commands and expectations, then we'll experience a joy that we never knew existed, a peace that transcends all human understanding and an abundant life that surpasses this short life here on this planet. And so more than just personal rewards which are great, when a larger group of people live in trust and obedience together in the Lord, it has a great impact on our families and even the communities we're connected to. And this is the will of the Lord, that we all trust and obey, church.